listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. The text we're going to be looking at this morning is Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 17 to 31. So you can, you can turn there and that will be the text we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. Uh, before we get there, I just want to uh, quickly go through this um, encouraging uh, account of uh, of number of missionaries. Uh, on January 8th, 1956, five young missionaries were speared to death in their attempt to reach the Hua Orani Indians of Ecuador for the first time in history with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, they were encouraged by, by, their, by, their, by their, their friendly encounters with this group in the uh, past number of weeks. And so they, they thought that finally we're going we're gonna to go in, we're going to meet with the people, and we're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time in history with this people. So instead of meeting with a friendly group of people, they met up with a group of warriors that killed them upon their arrival. They left behind their wives and, and children, and the watching world looked at this and said, wow, what a, a tragic waste of life. What a tragic nightmare. They looked at this, the death of five young missionaries attempting to take the gospel where it had never gone before and, and, and dying upon their attempt. The world thought, wow, what a loss. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, the first one to be slain by the group of the Hua Orani Indians in Ecuador, uh, the wife believed that the world had actually missed something very important. Uh, she wrote this. The world did not recognize the truth of the second clause in Jim Elliot's creed. And the quote's going to be up. He says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim was completely convinced that Jesus Christ was worth following whatever the cost may be, even if the cost was his own life. The five missionaries and also their wives understood that whatever the cost was in following Jesus Christ, uh, of giving their lives over to the work of seeing the gospel go forth and the kingdom of God built up, that whatever the cost may be, that, Christ, that what Christ has done for us on the cross and that what we gain from Christ is far better. That what we gain completely outweighs any loss to us. That it's not even a close competition. Uh, so the question to us then that arises as we, as we look to this account of these five missionaries are, is, are we convinced of the worth of Jesus Christ? Are we con convinced that following Jesus, yes, may come at a cost to us, but at the end, it's actually of profit that we gain. If you're anything like me, you'll quickly say, yes, yes, I believe that. But as we sift our lives through the grid of scripture, it can actually become painfully obvious when we see the truth that we actually love comfort. We, we love security. We love safety. Uh, if we're honest, at times those things can draw us more than the call of Jesus Christ on our lives. 
And yet the call of Christ on our lives remains the same as the call he made to his disciples. And so this is the call of Christ, loved ones. The call of Jesus Christ on our lives is to forsake all things and follow him. It's that simple, to forsake all things and to follow Jesus Christ. And when we do follow Jesus Christ, the reward always outweighs the cost. The reward always outweighs the cost. And it's important that we take time to look at this passage today and to understand the call of Jesus Christ seriously. Uh, Thabiti Anawible, uh, he says this about, uh, about the call of Jesus Christ. Claiming to be saved without actually following Jesus is demonic nonsense. For the Christian, following Jesus Christ is not optional. We cannot say that we love Christ and claim to be saved and yet not follow after him. So we must pay close attention to the call of Jesus Christ. And we must also be convinced that the gain that Christ promises when we follow him is actually worth it. That though the cost may be great, that our gain in Christ is even greater. So let's look at our passage this morning. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. This is the word of the Lord. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And I love this. Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Oh, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. 
So the passage we find ourselves this morning then is an interaction between Jesus and a potential disciple. The gospel of Mark time and time again turns to the, t- turns to the theme of discipleship with Jesus calling towards discipleship and the audience either responding by following after him or opposing him. There's no middle ground in the gospel of Mark for the audience when they look at Jesus. There's no fence that you can sit on. Just a few chapters before in Mark 8, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection, turns his face towards Jerusalem, and begins his journey to the cross. So in this passage, Jesus and the disciples are journeying towards Jerusalem. Jesus completely and fully aware of what awaits for him in Jerusalem, namely the cross. And they encounter a young man with a noble question. The call of Jesus remains the same to this young man. Forsake all and follow him. Why? Because when we follow Jesus Christ, the reward always outweighs the cost. So let's turn to our text again this morning. Our first point this morning is Jesus exposes our treasure. Jesus exposes our treasure. Let's look to the text again. Verse 17, and he was setting out on his journey and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack Sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So Jesus exposes our treasure. The passage begins with, with this rich ruler approaching Jesus Christ as Jesus was setting out on his journey towards the cross. And it seems like a a very noble intended question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? On the surface, this question is commendable. This man isn't necessarily interested about what he can gain in this life. It seems as though this man is concerned with what awaits him after. Yet his question is flawed. Take a look at the question. He says, what must I do? What, what work must I accomplish? What task must I complete? And take a look at Jesus' answer. Why, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now it may seem that Jesus is avoiding the question and, and turning somewhere else. But what, what Jesus is doing here is Jesus knows the heart of man. Uh, John chapter 2 verse 24 says this clearly, Jesus knows what is in the heart of a man. And so instead of addressing the surface level of this question, Jesus addresses the heart. That knowing that though the surface level of this question is commendable, 
Jesus sees the ruler's self-reliance and self-righteousness. Knowing this, Jesus establishes and points to the true standard of righteousness and goodness before even answering the question or going forward. And so Jesus points to God himself. So here's what Jesus is doing. The man approaches him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus addresses his heart and says, you, you want to know what you, you can do? Before we get to works of righteousness, we must first define what righteousness and good is. And so here's a definition. He gives the definition to the man. It is it's God himself. No one is good except God alone. So compared to the goodness and righteousness of God, the righteousness of man is rendered as nothing. A man doesn't boast about his own height when he's standing next to Mount Everest. He instead looks, he stares, and he's utterly humbled by the great vastness that is the mountain. Likewise, the goodness of God eclipses completely any effort and any work of good that we could ever do. Only when we see God rightly can we see ourselves rightly. And so Jesus addresses him. You want to know what to do to inherit eternal life? Here's the standard. Take a look at the goodness and the righteousness of God. For when we cast our eyes on the overwhelming goodness of God, our righteous works are exposed as falling short. Why? Because the bar is far too high. The bar is far too high. So after making clear the standard of goodness, which is God, Jesus entertains the man's question. So if you, if you want to know what to do, you know what to do. You have the law. The law is right there. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. And honor your father and mother. Here's the law. If you want to know what you can do to inherit eternal life, turn to the law of God. By doing this, Jesus actually says a couple things about the law of God. Oftentimes, we as Christians have made this false dichotomy between law and grace. But what Jesus is doing here, he's, he's showing, one, that the law of God is good. Why? Why? Because it's a, it's a reflection of who God is. The law of God is good because it's a reflection of the one who has given the law. And because God is good, the law is good. And two, Jesus is showing that the law of God is actually a grace of God, giving us instruction on how to attain abundant and eternal life. In other words, what Jesus is saying is keep it and live. The law of God is a good thing. And yet the problem that we face is not the law of God, it's, it's, our, it's our own hearts. The, the Apostle Paul talks about this in a number of his letters in the New Testament. That though the law of God is good and is instruction for abundant life, that our hearts shackled to sin are powerless to live according to it and attain the blessings that come with obedience. 
This is what the rich ruler actually misses completely. Instead, he replies to Jesus. You can almost imagine the swell of pride in his heart as he answers Jesus. Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. I've done it. I've kept those commandments. I haven't broken any of those. Did I, did I earn it? Did I, did, I, did I make it? Did I e- obtain eternal life? The ruler has kept the commands. He has treated what it seems like others and treated and loved others well. To anyone observing, this ruler is righteous before the Lord. But then Jesus exposes the man's treasure, his wealth. Look at what Jesus says. One thing you lack. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. So Jesus, perceiving the treasure of this man, tells him to forsake all of it and follow him. And the rich ruler instead doesn't even say a word and says, and this is what the text says about him. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Notice how earlier when, when the man asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, you, you know the commandments and he, he lists them off. Uh, you might have noticed that all of those commandments actually come from, from the Ten Commandments, but, but some of them are missing. Uh, the commandments that Jesus recites are commandments that have to do with our love and our conduct with one another. Because Jesus perceiving the heart of this man, knowing that this man has, has treasured something else, has, has saved up uh, kind of the final blow to the end of the conversation. Jesus says this, by testing the man's obedience, he actually tests the man's obedience to the first commandment. When Jesus calls him to forsake all that he has and follow him, Jesus is testing this man's obedience to the first commandment. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. But the man, because he had many possessions, treasuring them, he, he didn't repent. He didn't turn to Jesus. Instead, he, he turned away disheartened and sorrowful because he had many great possessions. And so this man, having great possessions, went away sorrowful. But notice what, what Jesus actually offered. It wasn't simply give up everything and follow me. Notice, notice carefully what Jesus says. Jesus says, follow me and have treasure in heaven. This, this man wasn't, wasn't told simply to give up everything, have nothing, and follow Jesus. But to forsake all, have treasure in heaven, and follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 actually says that this treasure, the treasure in heaven, is infinitely better because that treasure is eternal and secure. He says this, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So the ruler seeing the explicit command of Jesus Christ to forsake all and to follow him and the offer of Jesus Christ to have treasure in heaven instead of following Jesus turns 
away and walks away sorrowful. Martin Luther says this, the quote will be up on the screen. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Though the ruler by external obedience was observed to be righteous and loving of God, his real God was his treasure and his wealth. He was not a steward or master of his possessions as God calls us to be, but instead his possessions and riches were a master over him. As we come to Jesus, he exposes our treasure. Notice, he does this in love. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus exposes our treasure in love, not out of anger or judgment. Jesus loves us too much to let us go on too long, leaning on things that cannot bear the weight of our affection. Only God is meant for that. Jesus, therefore, out of love, will expose our hearts and humble us to the point of recognizing our need for him. Jesus is after my heart and my treasure. So will we respond to Jesus as he exposes our hearts like the ruler by walking away sorrowful, yet not changing and clinging to our treasure? Or will we turn to Jesus, see that he sees us rightly, that he turns to us in love and forsake all things and follow him? It is only when we come to Jesus that we can have his loving, exposing of our hearts, which is for our good. My friend, when he received a Bible from, from his mom, uh, she had written on the inside cover, uh, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will, will keep you from this book. Uh, the reality is that when we sin, our tendency is to hide ourselves from the word of God because we know that the word of God exposes us. We know that the word of God acts like a light uh, illuminating the dark crevices of our life, causing what was hidden to come out. But it's, it's a love of God that does that. We need to understand that God exposes our sin out of love so that we may be driven to Christ for forgiveness and a power towards obedience. We must learn to embrace the love of Christ in exposing our hearts. Like the ruler, we must place ourselves under the scrutiny of the word so that we may be rightly directed to hope in Christ. But unlike the ruler, we need to remain there. We need to remain under the scrutiny of the words. So loved ones, press in to the word of God. Give yourselves over to the daily reading of the scriptures. Sit under faithful teaching of the word of God. Let it wound you in the way that a surgeon wounds his patients so that it may remove a cancer. Let it let it expose you, let it tear you down, let it strip away your treasures so that you can be driven to hope only in Christ. So forsake all, follow Christ, that's a command. So the true state of the ruler is laid bare and yet he walks away from Christ. So let's continue. Take a look at the text again. Jesus overcomes our inability. Our second point, Jesus overcomes our inability. 
verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed by his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So our second point, loved ones, is Jesus overcomes our inability. So the rich ruler under the scrutiny of the word of God being exposed as to what his treasure is turns away. And so Jesus then turns to his disciples and makes this amazing statement. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And right there, the text says the disciples' reaction. The disciples were amazed at his word. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And John Calvin says this, Riches do not in their own nature hinder us from following God. But because of the depravity of the human mind, it is scarcely possible for those who have great abundance to avoid being intoxicated by them. This is what Jesus is saying. And this is what Calvin is saying. That, that wealth in and of itself isn't evil. Rich, riches are, and wealth and money are a gift from the Lord to be used and stewarded for his glory, to bless and to care for others. So riches in and of themselves aren't evil. It is, it is us. It's our hearts. It's, it's because of this. that This is what Calvin says, right? It's because of the depravity of the human mind, it is scarcely possible for those who have great abundance to avoid being intoxicated by them. These statements uh, that, that Jesus made about wealth and, and how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God caused the disciples to be amazed. We can assume that at least some of them some of the disciples that were with Christ at the time had some sort of business and a number of possessions. We know that Peter himself had a fishing business that he went back to after the death of Christ. But more so because we know, um, but more so we know this, this caused them to be amazed because it went contrary to what they understood in the culture regarding wealth. At the time, great wealth and possessions were seen by the people as, as a blessing from God. And it is, it is, that those who had much possessed it because the Lord showed them great favor. These individuals were then confirmed in their righteousness by their many possessions. While the opposite, that those who were sick and in poverty were seen under the judgment of God. 
This is the framework that Job and, and his friends had. Uh, if you've read through that book, you, you see Job's friends saying, you must have done something wrong because otherwise the Lord wouldn't have stripped you of these things because you, you were righteous before. You had many things. And so you were under the Lord's favor. You must have done something wrong. This was the framework of, of the mind of those in that culture. That, that wealth and health was favor from the Lord and that sickness and poverty was his judgment. And so this is what, what Jesus is going against then. That those with many possessions and wealth aren't any better able to please God because of their riches. That though the culture saw it as this, that though they saw that the rich could gain more favor by giving more to the temple, by buying the best kind of sacrifices, that they could afford the animals without blemish, that because they had the resources to do these things, that they could earn the favor of God. So Jesus, knowing the framework of these people tears it down. And he says it's, it's difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus illustrates this. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I don't know if any of you have tried that. Uh, even picturing it is impossible. Uh, the, the camel was the largest animal in that region. And so Jesus calling the, the camel to mind was this massive animal and the eye of a needle, a tiny opening. So what Jesus is saying is, is pretty clear that it's impossible for those who love riches to enter into the kingdom of God. So here we are, the people's understanding that wealth is blessing, a sign of favor from God, that because it enables me to please God and earn favor with him. And then Jesus makes these statements, how difficult it is. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So, so then we can understand why the disciples were so amazed and asked this question. And we should be driven to the same question. Then who can be saved? Put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples. Imagine their thoughts. Surely the ruler had the best chance to get into heaven. He, he obeyed all of the commandments that Jesus listed. And he had the wealth to back it up. He, he had the favor of the Lord. He was able to love on people more. He was able to give more to the Lord. If, if this man can't make it, then, then who, who can? How are we who are poor going to make it into heaven? So in this moment of devastation, Jesus brings further hard truth. He says, with man, it is impossible. Uh, notice, notice how Jesus has taken it even further. It's no longer simply difficult for the rich, but impossible for all men. No longer just difficult for the rich, but impossible for all men. Jesus, with love, see how in the verse, again, he, he looks at the disciples. This is a, a look of affection lays bare not just the condition of those who love money, but the condition of all men. That, that salvation, who can be saved? It's impossible with man. 
This is you and I. We're part of this category. We're, we're part of the category of, of, of all men with which it's impossible. The law of God was an expression of the grace of God to his people. We explored a bit earlier how the law was given as instruction towards abundant life. But because of the brokenness of our hearts and our love for sin, we've broken the law. And instead of blessing and abundant life, we receive curses and death. Salvation is, uh, is rendered impossible for man. Our good works and our righteousness will never gain us entrance into the kingdom of God. There's no resume that we can give to God and say, this is why I'm qualified. I've done these things. I've, I've given to these organizations. I've, I've, I've given my life over to these works. I've traveled to the harshest countries and given my life over to seeing it developed. There's, there's nothing we can do to say to God, this is why I'm qualified. He's already rendered it impossible for men. Yet with this crushing truth comes amazing grace. It is impossible with men, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. It is God that makes our salvation possible. That Christ perfectly obeying the law earns for us blessing and eternal life. This is the whole purpose of Christ coming. To do what we could not. But don't forget Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to the cross. To do what? To die. In our place, Jesus takes on the curses and the consequences of death that were upon us for our disobedience to the law. Dying in our place. But he didn't remain there, loved ones. That's why it's amazing. Christ rose again, proving that his payment was enough and that he is the first fruits of the resurrection of, we, of which we will be a part of. But we must see the weaknesses of our efforts first and, and that our works cannot save us and instead throw ourselves on to Jesus Christ and the work that he has accomplished. God himself has won our salvation. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. Our call then is to repent and turn to Christ Jonathan Edwards says this, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Christ has done it all. We need to simply press into the work of Christ and rest in his finished work for us. We need to celebrate this often. Uh, if you look throughout the scriptures over and over again, there's this call to remember why, why? Because as, as men and women, we are quick to forget what the Lord has done for us. So remind yourself of the work of Jesus Christ. Remind yourself of the gospel often. How? Find ways to make the gospel fresh in your eyes. And, and find ways to rejoice in the cross of Christ. Whether that being reading the gospels uh, in, in scripture often. Listening to the testimonies of others, reading books by others, making and presenting the gospel and applying it in fresh ways. 
or listening to robust songs of worship that, that talk about the glory of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Rest and celebrate what he has done for you. So Jesus has done which was impossible for us. So let's continue in our text. Take a look at verse 28. Jesus began to say to him, or sorry, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So first, we saw Jesus exposes our treasure. Second, Jesus overcomes our inability. And lastly, Jesus promises our gain. Jesus promises our gain. Peter responds to Jesus on behalf of all the other disciples and says, See, we have left everything to follow you. We've left our, our jobs, our, our homes, our reputation, our comfort, our families. We left everything to follow you. You have to wonder what would cause someone to, to abandon everything and follow a teacher from an obscure town with teachings that were often controversial and offensive. We see this play out even in John 6. Um, after uh, a message that was seen by the Jews as offensive and blasphemous, John records the fallout of this particular message. John says this, that after many of his disciples, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The disciples have left everything and followed Jesus. They have come to understand and believe that Jesus has the words of eternal life. We must be convinced of this. We must be convinced that Jesus is the Holy One of God and that though his words confront our sin and expose us, they're ultimately words leading to eternal life. They drive us to cling to Christ and the salvation that he has already won. And so this is what the disciples have done. They've trusted in the word of Christ and have forsaken all things to follow him. Peter is stating that he, along with all the other disciples, have done exactly what Jesus has prescribed to the rich man to do. Jesus told the rich man, sell all that you have, forsake all things, and follow me. And so after the rich man walks away, Jesus turning to the disciples, the disciples then respond saying, we've done that. See, we've forsaken all things to follow you. Jesus, following Jesus didn't come easy for the disciples. It, it cost them greatly. 
And this will be true for all true disciples of Jesus. There will come a cost. To follow Jesus is to leave behind everything. And so Jesus responds to them by comforting them. Look at his words. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus comforts us that though following him will come with persecution, and loved ones, we we ought to expect the persecution. Persecution is to come. Jesus promised that. But, But even with persecution, in our following after Jesus Christ, that we actually gain we actually profit. In this time, while we live, what the followers of Jesus Christ gain in pursuit of him is a spiritual family of God, the church. What we lose in following Jesus, we gain a hundredfold in the body of Christ. So the question to us is, do we see the church this way? Uh, do we see the church as, a, as the prize of Christ to us? Do we see the church as profit of Christ to us? That what we have lost in the world, we have gained in the church. How small our view of the church often is. Jesus says that in forsaking him, we actually gain in this life a hundredfold in the church. I, I grew up... <laughs> For most of my life, apart from my extended family, we left all of that behind in Sri Lanka. When we moved to Canada, uh, we, we were brought into the faith. The Lord saved us and our family. Uh, and honestly, I can tell you, there's, there, I have not felt a loss in, in losing relationship with family, but I've gained a hundredfold in the church of Jesus Christ. This is, what, this is what Jesus is saying. Though you may leave behind family and houses, relationships and possessions to follow Christ, that in the church you find abundantly more, a hundredfold more in Jesus Christ. John Piper says this also, that not only are we comforted by the church in this life, but that Christ himself makes up for every loss. If you give up a mother's nearby affection and concern, you get back 100 times the affection and concern from the ever-present Christ. If you give up the warm comradeship of a brother, you get 100 times the warmth and camaraderie from Christ. If you give up the sense of at-homeness that you had in your house, you get back 100 times the comfort and security of knowing that the Lord owns every house and land and stream and tree on earth. What a comfort this is. That not only do we gain in, in the church, but we gain in the ever-present affections of the Lord Jesus Christ with us. So Jesus continues. Not only do we gain in the comfort of the church and the closeness of Jesus Christ in this life, but in the life to come, Jesus gives us eternal life. 
what the rich ruler said that he desired, yet abandoned upon hearing the instruction of Christ. We gain it when we receive Christ's word, listen, obey, and forsake all to follow him. We gain in this life. But Jesus promises an even greater reward to come. And that by the cross to which Christ was looking forward towards and journeying to, that by his blood that he has paid for our debt and secured for us life eternal. That death becomes simply a doorway into fuller and more abundant life. Uh, loved ones, at the same time, Jesus doesn't diminish the cost to us. Jesus doesn't minimize that it, it will cost us a lot, that we will feel pain and hurt at times. But what motivates us through that is the joy to come. Uh, turn with me quickly to John chapter 16. Jesus says this, in verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And then Jesus paints this picture. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for, for joy that a human being has been born into this world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Amen. Amen. That though the pain may be real and the sorrow will be great and the Lord will say that in the midst of our sorrow and our hurt, the world will rejoice. They're taking pleasures in the things of the world. But the Lord says that, but hold on. Like it, the, the pain is, is, a, is like birth pains giving, giving result into abundant joy in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that this joy is not like the joy of the world uh, that will end when we finish our course here on earth. But this joy, when Jesus comes, he says, no one will be able to take it away from you. So when we understand the promises of Christ and what Jesus says we gain by following him, not only in this life, but in the age to come, we are motivated towards persevering faith. Here's what happens. I will willingly forsake anything and everything to follow Jesus when I am truly convinced that no matter the cost, that what I gain in Christ is infinitely better. We all know how profit works, that though there is a cost, the profit comes because what we gain is more than what we, what we lost. And this is what Jesus is saying, that no matter what the cost is, the, the gain is infinitely better. And so why would we hold back anything? This is what Jesus is calling us to. That no matter the cost, that I gain abundantly more in Jesus Christ. Today we find the gap between the conviction of the culture and what it believes and what Christ said and taught is continuing to widen. And so what Jesus says 
that followers of Christ will find themselves more and more opposed to the world. Persecution, though it is still small compared to our brothers and sisters around the world, persecution is coming, it's building, and its opposition is growing against the Lord and the truth that God has expressed in the word of God. That though there is persecution, Jesus said we are to expect it when we follow him. This is the comfort, though, that Jesus gives to his disciples. The fellowship of the church, the closeness of Jesus Christ, and the gift of eternal life to come. Jesus says that these three things are of profit to you when you follow Jesus Christ. That there is no cost that will come that will ever come close to what we gain in Jesus Christ. So Jesus concludes with this. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And Jesus summarizes then all that has happened in this encounter. The kingdom of God is not like this world. Those who invest everything in this world, pursue worldly treasures, build up earthly wealth, will find themselves lacking in the age to come. But it is those who forsake all things for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the kingdom of God that will find themselves richly blessed in Christ. That's why Jesus says that those who are first will be last and the last first. It is those who give themselves over to the work of Jesus Christ, completely forsaking all things that gain everything. His call then is to forsake all things and follow him. Loved ones, lay down your treasures, rest in his complete work, and trust in his promises. If we call ourselves Christ followers, we must follow in the way that he has instructed for us to do. As we, as we conclude, um, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Paul here talks about and, and states the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ above all things. May this be a, a great encouragement to you. Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 to 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I'm going to read that one more time. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In order that I may gain Christ. Forsaking all things becomes easy when we see the worth of Jesus Christ for us and the gain that we have in Christ. Paul saw this. 
Paul saw the all-surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, and he considered all things as rubbish compared to what he has gained in knowing Jesus Christ. So we need to put, we need to put on the right perspective. We need to see what we have in comparison to Christ. We must see what those things truly are, that those things are rubbish compared to knowing Christ. So the call of Jesus on our lives then, loved ones, is to forsake all and follow him. So Jesus exposes our hearts. Jesus overcomes our inability. And Jesus promises our gain. And when we follow Jesus, the reward always outweighs the cost. Always. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that any time that it is read, any time that it is opened, that you are speaking. That this, we truly believe, is, is your word inspired by the Holy Spirit, written down infallibly, inerrant, that this is your word to us. And so we pray that you would be working in the hearts of us here this morning as we have heard what Christ has called us as believers to do. That we would see this not just simply as, as a word that, that a man up here is speaking, but this is a word that you have spoken to us. This is your call to us to forsake all things and to follow Jesus Christ. But help us Help us, Lord, we pray to see the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. We confess oftentimes our, our eyes are muddied, are clouded uh, with, with the attractions of the world. That our hearts are often drawn to things that promise pleasure, that promise profit. And, and yet when we partake of it, we, we find ourselves still wanting so we pray that you'd give us clear vision, that we would see, as Paul says, the all-surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. That in comparison to knowing him, that all these things that the world offers would seem as rubbish. So that whatever the cost may come to us, even if that means the laying down of our lives, we know that in comparison to knowing Christ, it's, it's gain to us. It's gain. So help us to know you like this. Help us to see Christ as he is exalted and, and glorified and worthy of our praise. And would we be given over to give our lives completely over to the service of the gospel. Jesus said that, no one who has forsaken all those things for the sake of him and for the gospel does not gain. And so we pray that we would find ourselves in that category, that we would be those who give ourselves over for the sake of Jesus Christ, of making him known, to seeing the gospel go forth, to seeing the, the lost saved and the saved matured and, and the matured multiplied out so that we can be a great gospel witness for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. You deserve it, so would you have that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.